Actually, we'll only be taking the part B there, which says watching in prayer. That will be our lesson for today. And we'll pick up with walking in wisdom and speaking in grace on the coming Sundays. So this morning, we'll look at our introduction and then we'll ask the question, what is prayer? Why is prayer so important? And then from the text here in Colossians, three reminders for successful praying. We all know a lot about prayer And this is one of those review lessons where we don't have to learn a lot of things that we didn't know, but we want to be challenged to do what we know, to put it into practice. As we look back in Colossians, in chapter 1, we saw the preeminence of Christ. In chapter 2, Christ was presented as the answer to all the questions of life, as opposed to the traditions of men and their ordinances, commandments, and doctrines. In chapter 3, Paul reminded us of the importance of the Word of God. And he said the Word of Christ should dwell in us richly with all wisdom. And then in today's lesson, Paul is going to stress the importance of prayer. He's asking prayer for himself. The Word and prayer belong together. So he's encouraged us in the Word, now he's going to encourage us to pray. In the Word, God is speaking to us as we read the Scriptures. In prayer, we are in response, speaking back to God. Now he's going to give us a reminder here, later in the text, later in the passage, that we need to walk in wisdom before unbelievers. And certainly we know that a major characteristic of the Christian life is going to be that our walk would match our talk. So let's consider Matthew 7, 16 through 21, and look at a vital characteristic which has to be true in the life of anyone who would profess to know Christ. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Now, Paul is speaking here expressly about false prophets. But then he adds, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we would say that he or she who would be an effective Christian witness must bear fruit in keeping with his profession of faith in Christ. Now we ask the question, what is prayer? And we answer that by saying prayer is the most important expression of the new life in Christ. There are a lot of passages that deal with prayer. I've selected a couple here that we don't often read. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, 
in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. If you want to do something good and acceptable in God's sight, then pray. All men should pray and pray for those who lead us. And then another from that same chapter. Therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Now, we've often stated that prayer is the language of the kingdom. If you want to accomplish anything in terms of the kingdom of God, you've got to speak the language. Our first consideration this morning would be to ask the question, just what is prayer? Is prayer asking God for all the stuff and then supposing that he's going to give it to us in the time allotted? Well, no, that is not uh, what prayer is all about. The account is given of Dwight L. Moody, the famous evangelist for, which, for whom Moody Church is named in Chicago, making a visit to Scotland in the 1800s. And he was speaking in the chapel service for an elementary school, and he began his talk with the rhetorical question, what is prayer? And to his amazement, hundreds of hands quickly shot up, each student enthusiastically desiring to be the first to answer his question. He decided to call on a young man sitting near the front of the class, and the little boy promptly stood up and said, Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of his Spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. That is the answer to question 98 in the Westminster Catechism. Moody responded to the young man by saying, Be thankful, uh, young man, that you were born in Scotland. Do we think that our sons and daughters will one day say, You know, I'm really grateful that I was brought up in Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship. And do we think that the doctrines of prayer or any other Christian doctrine would be important enough to teach our children the Catechism, even the one that we're going over in First Light that you can download for each member of the family right over the Internet. Well, we uh, won't ask the question this morning of how many are learning the Catechism, but I wonder if we would have a half dozen families in our church who are teaching their children the Catechism. That's very important that we know the answers to these questions and oftentimes we can learn it right out of the Bible, but it's good to have an answer when the question comes. So why is prayer important? There it is. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. What's so great about that? Getting what we want? Even the believers, unbelievers pray when they want something or when a crisis arises. God is not doing business with unbelievers but in times of crisis, they keep piling on the prayers anyway. What makes prayer so important? Here is an idea for us. Are you familiar with this verse? Proverbs 15, verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. God is delighted with the prayers of his people.
Would you like to do something in your life to make God happy? Start praying. Not just five-minute grocery list prayers, but industrial strength, heavy-duty prayers. Prayers that would be effectual and robust. Now, if you remember, we've talked before about the elements of prayer, and we used an illustration, the five-sail schooner, sailing ship, and we talked about confession and praise and thanksgiving and intercession and supplication. Those would be our elements of prayer. Uh, Jesus one time invited his disciples to watch and pray one hour. I wonder if we watch and pray for five minutes at a time. If we're covering the elements of prayer and we know others who need prayer, certainly it would be a simple matter to watch and pray for one hour. Now, every true Christian uh, wants to make God happy, I would suppose, but there is another aspect of what's in prayer, and that is, what's there for me? Is there anything for us in prayer? If prayer makes God happy, what does it do for me? All throughout the Old Testament and the New, we see exhortations to pray, and we see the answers to prayer. We're saying, again, if you're going to function well in the kingdom, you've got to know the language, and prayer is the language of the kingdom. We see the admonition to pray in Isaiah 55.6. The Lord, while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. And then Jeremiah 29.12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. The New Testament. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. There are many testimonies of answered prayer. The psalmist says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Others in the scripture prayed. Abraham's servant, you remember, prayed, and God showed him the woman who would be the wife for his master's son and heir. Jacob prayed to God, and God inclined the heart of his irritated brother to meet him in peace and friendship. Samson prayed to God, and God showed him a well where he could quench his burning thirst and so go on to be a judge in Israel. Hannah prayed, and God answered by sending her a son who would lead the nation later to a national revival in Israel. David prayed, and God defeated the council of Ahithophel. Hezekiah prayed and God raised him up from his deathbed and gave him 15 more years in his life. Daniel prayed and God enabled him both to tell the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had and to give the interpretation of that dream. Nehemiah prayed and God inclined the heart of the king of Persia to grant him a leave of absence to visit and rebuild his city of Jerusalem. The believers in Jerusalem prayed, and God opened the prison doors and set Peter free after Herod had resolved to have him executed. Paul prayed that the thorn in his flesh might be removed, 
and his prayer brought a large measure of spiritual strength while the thorn yet remained. Someone has said that prayer is like the dove that Noah released from the ark. It blessed him not only when it returned with an olive leaf in his mouth, but also when it never returned at all. Now let's uh, summarize what prayer does for us, because we would naturally be interested in the benefits of prayer if we're going to take time out of our busy schedule to uh, focus on this business of communicating with God. Prayer is the means of obtaining things that we need. God has said that he would supply all of our need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Well, if he's going to supply our need and he knows what we need before we ask, why do we need to pray? Because somehow God has determined in his divine sovereign plan that we can participate with him in what he is doing. And he not only ordains what will take place and what he will supply, but also the prayer. But we get to choose to participate in that prayer. So we don't understand exactly how that works, but we know God commands us to pray, and we know that we see answers to those prayers. So we pray. Philippians 4, 6. Let your request be made known unto God. It sounds like it's in the imperative. It's just something we're supposed to do. Matthew 21, 21. And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. And we understand that that would be all things that are in God's will. And the more we pray and the more we study His Word, the more we understand His will and are able to pray according to His will. Prayer is an effective weapon against the attacks from the devil and his demonic forces. Now, you will need this kind of praying if you feel that you have been wounded in some way, if you have been emotionally hurt for whatever reason down inside, because Satan loves to plant seeds of lies and distortions in the fertile soil of emotional wounds. We've all sustained those at some time or another, and we need to pray that Satan wouldn't be able to grow a root of bitterness in our hearts because of what has happened or what may be happening to us. Christ prayed for the disciples. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. We are going to face challenging times. We're not going to leave the world until God is ready for us to go, but we need prayer. We need prayer for ourselves. We need prayer for one another. The pastor needs prayer. Prayer is the means of confession of sin. We're familiar with 1 John 1, 9. In uh, Psalms 51, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out all my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. There are excellent models for prayer in Scripture. All we have to do is open it up and put in the first personal pronoun and begin to pray. 
just as the writers of Scripture did. Prayer is one channel through which we offer praise to God. Acts 16.23 And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, that would be Paul and Silas, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there came a great earthquake, and you know the rest of the story. Psalm 22.3 tells us that God inhabits the praise of his people. And there in that passage, we would see another channel for expressing our gratitude to God. One would be prayer, one would be singing praise to him. The last one, prayer, is the process by which we recognize our dependence upon God. In Romans 9, 16, Paul says, So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has the mercy. And we need to remind ourselves of that. And prayer enables us to remember that we are dependent upon God if we're truly praying from the heart. Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that are unfaithful to thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Now, back in our chapter, in verse 3, Paul is asking for the church in Colossae to pray for him. And let's ask ourselves the question, if God were to answer all your prayers, yes, whatever you prayed, how would Christ's kingdom be advanced? It was certainly advanced through Paul's prayers. What did he ask for? We'll take a look. But first, he gives three important reminders to prayer in verse 2. Reminders for successful praying, reminders of prayer, we should say. In the King James Version, the verse reads, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. In the New American Standard, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer. In the English Standard Version, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Perhaps the King James uses just one word because there's only one word in the original. It means to persist in, to adhere to firmly, to remain devoted to. We're talking about dedication to prayer. Four of the ten uses of that word in the New Testament refer to being dedicated to prayer. What is your dedication quotient to prayer this morning? How would we gauge that? Well, someone might say perhaps by the time that we invest in prayer. But our heart would have to be right. Worship we're learning is from the heart. So there would have to be a quality of prayer and not just a quantity of prayer.
In many churches, prayer may be the most talked about and yet least practiced exercise in Christian living. Why would that be? Well, the answer is not that prayer is unimportant. Prayer is certainly important to Christians, but it may not be as important as television, videos, internet, radio, electronic games, music, movies, books, magazine, leisure, leisure time activities, and sports. All of those things find a way into our lives. They're not evil things, but they squeeze out the time for prayer. The only time for prayer for many people is when a good crisis appears on the scene. So I want to ask that we would join our hearts together this morning and ask that God would send a real crisis to Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship. Not just a small crisis, because in that case, we just shoot up a few flare prayers and go on about our business. Now, someone would say, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of, praying for a crisis. But think about it for a moment. If God delights in prayer and no one is praying, how would be the best way for God to help his people to understand his dependence upon him? I suppose it would be a situation where they would have to realize that he is their rock and their fortress and their deliverer. And sometimes as Americans, we're so self-sufficient that we don't come to many situations like that. If we're hungry, we go down to H-E-B. If we need some money, we go down to Chase Bank. They'll be glad to lend you some. If we need a car, an automobile, we go to Ansira. And we have ways and means of supplying most everything we need. But when something comes up that we can't handle, then we turn to the Lord in prayer. That's what happened to King Jehoshaphat. He heard that a mighty horde of Meunites, Ammonites, and Moabites were headed toward his land. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. What's this? Now we have prayer and fasting, an unbeatable combination. And so all Judah, uh, Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. This is like an out-of-town football game. Everybody is making the trip because they are motivated to pray. When will we be motivated to pray? Will it be when the United States Congress begins to enact legislation that is abomination to God? Will it, be, will it be when many of our leaders turn our backs, turn their backs on God and would hope that we would too? Well, what will it take? I would suggest that we pray before the crisis comes. 
If you remain on this earth very long, you'll probably see some crises where the large are small, and now is the time to be praying. Now is the time to be storing up that capital in your spiritual bank before the crisis comes. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Well, three reminders for successful praying. First is perseverance. And there are some passages listed in your study guide. Perseverance. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. We all know that verse, and you're likely familiar with two powerful parables that Christ told us to motivate us to persevere in prayer. The widow woman and the judge, you remember that one, in Luke. And the very first verse... Uh, Excuse me, before we uh, get to that um, verse, here is George Mueller encouraging us to pray. It's a common temptation of Satan to make us give up the reading of the Word and prayer when our enjoyment is gone, as if it were of no use to read the Scriptures when we do not enjoy them, and as if it were no use to pray when we have no spirit of prayer. While the truth is, in order to enjoy the Word, we ought to continue to read it, and the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. For the less we read the Word of God, the less we desire to read it, and the less we pray, the less we desire to pray. Well, Jesus told a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And then there was another parable, you remember, where a neighbor had a guest come at midnight and he was very hungry because he needed three loaves of bread from his next door neighbor. And because of his importunity, the man got up and gave him what he asked for. And Jesus closes that passage by saying, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks it will be opened. Those are familiar passages. Now the second reminder is watchfulness. Watchfulness, what is that? The word means to be alert, to stay awake, not just physically, but spiritually as well. On the occasion of the evening before the atonement of the world, Christ asked his disciples that question that we've already mentioned, could you not watch and pray with me one hour? A crisis was forthcoming, but they didn't know. They should have been watching and praying. They should have been prayed up for what was coming the next day even later that evening, in the wee hours of the morning. But they were not, and when the trouble came, they all scattered. You remember the parable of the ten virgins. That parable is to motivate us to be watchful. Five of the virgins had their oil lamps ready to go. The other five went to sleep and let their oil run out. In the New Testament... Watchfulness refers to being on guard against temptation, striving in prayer, as in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
and being prepared for Christ's second return to this earth. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. For you are sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. Let us be alert and sober. We don't want to be victims of spiritual pearl harbors, but that's exactly what the enemy is planning for us, to catch us unaware, to hit us right in the heart when we're suffering some emotional pain or disturbance. And if that is the case, we better have some other people praying for us at that time, or the enemy can do a lot of damage. The third reminder is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful for what? In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I made up my mind a long time ago that I would try to give thanks in everything. Now that's not easy to do, but you have to practice it. When we first began this church 11 years ago, I was speaking at a feast conference in San Antonio. And after the session, a well-respected man in the community called me aside And he began to relate to me all of the reasons why this new church, FCF, would be doomed to failure and could not possibly succeed. And he had some pretty good reasons. I listened attentively to what he said. Since then, I've listened to a number of prophets of doom and gloom through the years. I don't know what those folks would be doing on Monday morning but I knew what I would be doing if the Lord was willing. I would be in the wilderness down in Windmill Canyon at Headwaters Ranch, and I would be praying. And the Lord spoke to me. He didn't speak to me in an audible voice, but He spoke to me right out of the book. And here's what He said. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, I knew that I wanted that peace. I had to have that peace if I were going to press on. So I determined that I was going to be the most thankful man in Texas and keep on praying no matter what the naysayers had to say. It's what God says that really counts. Now, here's Paul asking for prayer. In the King James, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now, I gave that in the King James because I want to ask you, what is a door of utterance? a door of utterance. The word utterance comes from a verb, lego. 
like the Legos that you play with when you're building something in construction. That word means to lay forth, to relate in words, usually systematically. It means to call, to describe, to give out, to put forth, to say, to speak, to tell, to utter. And then the noun, utterance, is lagos. In the beginning was the lagos, and the lagos was with God, and the lagos was God. It means something said, including the thought. So let's get it in a modern translation. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Why is it a mystery? We just can't understand it? It isn't incomprehensible? Well, it's a mysterion because unless God explains it to us fully through His Spirit touching our hearts, we don't get it. And that's the reason Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the mystery of Christ is foolishness to those who are the natural man. And we preach that message, but it takes the Spirit touching their hearts to make that effective. And this is what Paul is asking for, that God would open up doors of opportunity for preaching the gospel and that it would be made clear, that he would be make, it, made it, make it clear. Well, I'm asking you for the very same prayer that doors of opportunity would be opened in Fredericksburg, wherever it might be, and that I might speak the word clearly. How is your witness this morning? Do you have uh, fruit that would be evidence that you are on the team, the sheep team that is? Have other things become more important than prayer? Do you really want to make God happy? He delights in the prayers of the upright. I want to encourage us this morning to begin praying, to begin seriously praying, to set aside time to pray, to pray with the family, to pray as individuals, to pray as a church. We'll have an opportunity to pray as a church in just a moment. Now, of course, if you have never prayed that prayer, to confess that you're a sinner and you need the saving blood of Christ, that would be the very first prayer that you need to pray. You need to ask Christ to forgive your sin and come into your life and take control of every phase of your life and make you the kind of person that He wants you to be. If you've never prayed that prayer or if you've prayed the prayer but there's no fruit in your heart, I would invite you to pray with me even now. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we can come into your presence this morning because you have made a way for us through the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have ordained prayer as a means of accomplishing your will. And uh, Lord, we, we wonder what could be more exciting than participating with you in your divine providence of what's going on on this earth. But we confess that many times 
other things squeeze out the time for prayer. Father, I ask that we might repent of prayerlessness. I would repent of prayerlessness. I need to pray more because there are more things to pray about, it seems, every day. And I would ask if there's anyone here this morning who has never truly committed his or her life to you, that this would be the time for that. I pray for the conviction of your Holy Spirit that would turn the mystery of Christ into reality, that Christ has died for our sin, that he provides for us a way of salvation, the only way, and that if he is not our rock and our fortress and our deliverer, we have no hope in this world or the next. So I pray that your spirit would move in power. Lord, if there are those here this morning who have confessed faith in Christ, but for some reason or other, they're not living it out in their lives, I pray that your spirit might bring conviction. We have no way of knowing what could happen to us this evening or tomorrow. And I pray, Lord, as each of us goes out the church doors today, that we would be in right relationship with you. Guide our prayers now in this time of corporate worship, and I ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.